Welcome to the First E Podcast, where you can find sermons, messages, encouragement, and hope in a world of uncertainty and fear. May the God of peace fill you with love and hope, and may the hope of God overflow into the world. Good morning. It's good to be here in the house of God together, and uh, you know I, know, I know it's been different, but it's good to be together. You know, we started meeting back together almost as soon as you could, um, with the balance of safe, but it's important to see one another's faces and be the family of God. Next week is going to be just like this week, three services inside, so next week is the same. The 23rd and the 30th, we plan on meeting outside. We still have good weather because it's August, we hope. And uh, people can bring their lawn chairs. And it's just to end the summer with one service at 11 o'clock. It'll be at 11 for the benefit of our neighbors, right? 11 o'clock is better than, you know, 9 <laughs> in the morning. So, but those, that's the 23rd and the 30th that we'll do an outdoor thing. We'll give you more information about that. And um, I'm excited about that. Well, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for... Uh, being here as your family, that we can come and worship, we can praise your name, uh, we can open your word, and I pray, Father, that each one here might see your hand at work in their life and acknowledge it. And I pray that for those who doubt that you care about them and those who doubt that you've been with them through their life, that you might speak to that and show that you have always been there and that you always be there, and you're the one that we can trust. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're in Genesis, embracing the call of God is the theme for all of Genesis. Today, we're talking about family conflict and the presence of God. It might sound familiar because we talked about that last week, but there's just too much in this story to have possibly covered all the family conflict in one message. So um, good for us. We get lots of family conflict to look at this week as well. I'm going to start in Genesis 48 at the end of Jacob's life. We've been looking at his life and his family, and at the end of of Genesis in chapter 48, Jacob looks back on his life. He's about to die. He's talking to his son Joseph and his grandchildren, and this is what he says, verse 15, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so let's look at this a little bit. Jacob says that the God of his grandpa, Abraham, and the God of his dad, Isaac, has been his shepherd his whole life. Now that is a pretty profound and amazing statement because Jacob has, he has been wronged many times. People have treated him poorly. Things have not worked out for him the way he wanted, and yet he is able to say that God has been his shepherd his whole life. Now, you might want to know how that's even possible for someone who's been disappointed in people over and over again. Uh, Another thing to pay attention to is that he, he he says that God is the same God that was there for his grandpa and his dad. Now, God doesn't change, but what does need to happen is that, you know, your grandparents or your parents might have faith. And they might raise you in the faith and share what's important to them and pray for you. But at some point, the faith has to become yours. And Brandon, could you close the door? We got a lot of happy people visiting, which we're happy about. uh, um, So 
Your faith has to become your own. Your faith can't simply belong to your mom or dad. It has to be yours. You aren't your mom or dad. You aren't your grandparents. You're your own individual. And at some point, your own experience in your life and what God does in your life, and despite all of the griefs and sorrows and confusion, you trust God. That faith becomes your own. That has happened to Jacob at the end of his life. Yes, Abraham had faith in God, and his father Isaac had faith in God. Now he has faith in God, and it's his own faith. And what he prays for is that the same kind of redemption that he experienced, his grandkids will experience. Because Jacob has been wronged, but he also has sinned against other people. He has hurt other people. And yet God has redeemed his life, has saved him in spite of his actions. And he prays that his grandkids will experience that. The God who shepherds a life, that they will experience redemption, that they will come to know the God that he knows. That's his prayer for them. So that's Jacob at the end of his life. Now we're going to go look at his family because it's quite amazing that he ends up there after all the things that happen. So let's go look at chapter 30, verse 25. And we have a lot of things to see here going on in his family. So it starts off, 3025. It says, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. And so I'm going to pause on this verse and talk about it a little bit so that the whole story makes sense to you. It just won't make sense if you weren't here or you haven't read this story before. Jacob wants to go back home. This is not his home where Laban lives, Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, his wives. This is not his home. He left home. He had to leave home. Because his brother wanted to kill him. His brother wanted to kill him because Jacob had pretended to be his brother, had deceived his father, Isaac, had stolen the blessing. And because his brother wanted to kill him, he had to leave home. And his relationship with his dad was really suffered from this. And his mom said, the one person you can trust is Laban. And so he left home. On his way, God met him in the middle of the wilderness. This is the story of the ladder and angels going up and down. God met him and gave him promises. The most important promise, God said, is I will be with you wherever you go. And so Jacob took that promise to heart and he threw a prayer up to God. God, the one thing I want is to be able to go home to my father in peace. It's an impossible prayer. After all the stuff he's done, that's what he wants. And so that's how he ended up where he was at, and now he wants to go back home. So he says, send me away, I want to go home. Verse 26, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination, or I see by divination, that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, Laban said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, don't give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled, spotted sheep, every black lamb, the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come and look into my wages with you. 
Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. So let's talk about this a little bit. What is going on here? Well, uh, by the way, when I talk about this being a story, I don't mean it's pretend. What I mean is this is the account of what happened. These are real people, real places. This, these things really happened. Uh, but let's take a look at this. Now, you might wonder, why doesn't Jacob just leave? Well, he can't. He came with what? Nothing. And his marriage relationship has all been under the, the powerful control of Laban. He's married the daughters, both daughters, and Laban is the one who owns land. Laban is the one who has respect in the community. Laban is the one who has local law enforcement on his side. Laban is the one who has all these ranch hands who have weapons. Who I mean, that's Laban. Jacob doesn't have that. He has his wives and children. You can't really fight a war with wives and children, right? He doesn't have anything. He is stuck here. He asks his father-in-law, you know, it's time to go. Can I leave? And he gets the answer he kind of expected. Well, no. Because what is it that Laban sees? Now, the outline this morning is, is pretty simple. Laban saw, and then Jacob saw, and then God saw. So this is what Laban sees. He sees that he is blessed because God is blessing Jacob. So if Jacob works the flocks... It's amazing. Laban gets like four times more than you would expect because Jacob is there. He sees that. And so he doesn't want Jacob to leave because if Jacob leaves, well, his wealth might go down. And so that's what Laban sees. And Jacob says, okay, all right, well, let's make a, let's make a deal here. And you might wonder, well, why does Jacob make a deal? You're going you're gonna to see that Laban is a very abusive person. When, someone, when you're in a relationship and someone is abusive and they hold all of the power, you don't necessarily stand right up to them. Sometimes you try to work out the best deal that you can under the circumstances, and that's what Jacob is doing. Tell you what, I'll keep working for you, and then we'll find a fair way for me to build up some wealth so that I can leave and go back to my, my homeland. And Jacob is being above board and honest about this offer because he's essentially asking for not very much, right? Have you ever driven by fields full of sheep? What color are all of them? They're white. Occasionally, there's one that is all speckled or black, right? How many black sheep have you seen in your life? Is there anyone here who's seen, well, maybe you were a rancher, I don't know. Is there anyone here who has seen more than five black sheep in their life? You have. David has. And Trevor has, all right? And what they won't tell you, it was the same one. I, kept, I was lost. I kept, you know. <laughs> but you understand what he's asking for is very little. Jacob is trusting that God will multiply that. Well, look at what Laban does. Laban says, that's a great idea. I'm glad that you're finally dealing honestly with me. So, verse 34. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it, every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So the deal is made, but what does Laban remove? All of the sheep that belong to Jacob. He removes them and sends them three days' distant. Who takes him there? Rachel and Leah's brothers. 
remove the sheep. Jacob is pretty powerless. He doesn't have, you know, an army of guys to do anything about this. He's just got to take it. This is what abusive relationships are like. That's a great deal. So we're going to start on that tomorrow. Why, look, there's no spotted sheep. That's amazing. I thought there were some. Um, So this is, it's bad, okay? This family relationship here is bad. Jacob takes a stab at a mutually beneficial arrangement and finds that the abusive uncle will agree to it, but then is tricky, sneaky about it, and has no intention. Jacob can tell, man, this guy, he just has no intention of, t- of taking care of me or being honest with me. Okay, so <clears throat> verse 37, strange part of the Bible. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred, when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever a stronger of the flock was breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be by Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. And everybody wonders, why is this in the Bible? What's up with the sticks? Okay. I, what's going on here? Some people might even say, oh, this is why I don't trust the Bible. This is not how sheep become spotted or black. Apparently, the people in the Bible didn't understand genetics. This is superstition. Uh, I don't even understand. Some of you might, I don't even understand why the story is in here. Well, I'll try to help you with this, okay? Now, Jacob has made an above-board agreement and then watched his uncle mess with him on it and remove the spotted sheep. And so... When you think about the sticks and what they do or don't do, remember who put them there. Who's, who's, who's taking sticks and, like, you peel back part of the bark and leave it, peel it, leave it, peel it, so that it's white, black, white, black? Who's doing the whole stick thing? Jacob. What's he really good at? Deception. You have to remember that. You've heard the phrase, it's better than a poke in an eye with a sharp stick. I really think the whole stick thing is Jacob poking Laban in the eye. I mean, when he does this whole stick thing, who's going to find out about it? Everybody. It's the weirdest thing they've ever seen, right? What starts to happen? I mean, the, the flock he's working with is all white. By the way, do you know what Laban's name means? Laban's name means white. That's what it means. All the sheep are white. All of a sudden, all these sheep start coming up, spotted, speckled, black, lots of them far more than there ever should be. People are losing their mind. Laban's losing his mind. What's happening? Well, he's got this stick thing going. What are you talking about, a stick thing? What, uh, let's try it. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know what was happening to, to Laban's mind, but it was driving him crazy. Notice what Jacob does. This is known as passive-aggressive behavior. So on the surface, Jacob is taking care of the flock, right? He feeds them. He waters them. Where does he put the sticks? 
where they come to drink. I mean, this happens to people now. They go out to drink, they meet somebody, they have a kid, right? That's supposed to be a joke, okay? So Laban does the same, or I mean, Jacob does the same thing. So, uh, but what does he do with the animals? The strong ones, what? The really strong animals he puts in front of the sticks with the spotted colors. What does he do with the weak animals? Ah, you guys can go over there and have your kids. And all of a sudden, all of Laban's white sheep are really weak. And all of Jacob's sheep are super strong. On the outside, Jacob is doing everything he's been asked to do. But he's passive-aggressive, right? He is really sticking it to Laban. Even though on the outside, you really couldn't necessarily point to anything. You ever worked with someone who's passive-aggressive? This is what it looks like. Now... You might say, Steve, I don't understand why you're you're dragging all this psychology stuff into a Bible text. This is why. I think one of the ways in which stories in the Bible work is that if you can put yourself into the story somehow, then when the person, the people in the story realize things, you can realize it. You're like, oh, that's right. Wow. That's true for me as well. And so one way to put yourself in the story is how would you feel if someone is abusing you? They hold all of the cards. They have all the power. You are trapped. You can't do anything about it. You can't really confront them, but you sure can do this thing. Can you relate to that at all? And there it is in the story. Now, we're gonna, that is not the main part of the story. That's just a way to put yourself into the story, okay? So Genesis was not written so that you can deal with passive-aggressive people. That's... Genesis is written so that you can have a relationship with the living God. But along the way, you find yourself in the story, and then you're open to a relationship with the living God. Okay, so chapter 31, we're going to see what Jacob saw. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all of his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So let's break this down here. First, there are the brothers, Rachel and Leah's brothers. And you got to, it should make you laugh out loud. The brothers are like, that Jacob, he's just not honest. Okay. These are the guys that took Jacob's sheep three days journey and kept them from him. He's tricky. He's so tricky. You can't trust him. Okay, that's the brother's comment. And then you have what Jacob sees. Now, earlier I pointed this out. Laban said, and he was honest. Even abusive people can be honest about something. He was honest. He said, the reason why I want you to stay is because God's hand of blessing is on you, and I want that blessing for myself. Laban had never said a more honest thing in his life. That is totally honest. That's why he wants Jacob there. He doesn't want him to leave because he can see that God is blessing Jacob and he wants to benefit from that. Totally honest statement. (laughs) Right out there. But now, Jacob can see that something has changed and Laban doesn't really look at him with favor. Well, if you have spent six years with someone who's relating to you passive-aggressively, that might wear you down in your attitude as well. Passive-aggressive behavior, you're one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, your attitude might shift a little towards that person. So this has happened to Laban. Now, it says that uh, 
the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, this is different than before. See, before Jacob, his son Joseph was born, and he said, I think it's time to go back home. And so he asked Laban, send me away. I'm ready to go back home. Laban said, no, not going to happen. So Jacob does the best he can. He works out a deal where maybe this will get better for him in the future, which is what people have to do in abusive relationships, right? Sometimes you can't just leave your mom and dad. You have to find out a way to survive. If you have an abusive parent, you have to find out a way to negotiate and survive in the situation you're in. You can't just leave. Or at work, your boss is abusive. You can't just quit because you need the job. So you do the things you have to do in order to get along and make them the living. And Do you see what I'm saying? So Jacob does what... It, but now it's different. Now God says to Jacob, it's time to go. You need to go. And notice Jacob's response. All right then, it's time. We'll leave. So you might have wondered, when Jacob said, I want to leave, why did he wait six years? Well, he and his spirit felt it was time to leave, but God hadn't told him it was time to leave. So he was willing to make do the best he could with where he was at. When God said, it's time for you to go, I will be with you, he said, all right then, I'll go. And, you know, in life, you can have those things happen just like that. You have something that you desire, you're ready to make the move, but you compromise because, honestly, you're not really sure if that's what God wants you to do, and so you make an arrangement. And then there's another time in your life where you know that that is exactly what God wants you to do, and the right decision is to obey. And it can be about the same thing. Do you see that? It's about the same thing, going back home, going back home. We don't know why God didn't say it, six years earlier. We don't know why. God doesn't explain that. It's just that's the way it happened. So, moving on. Verse 4, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. And he said to them, I'm going to pause here and just point out a really, uh, this is a positive thing here to notice. Who is it that Jacob loved? Rachel, what did he hold against Leah? Well, on his wedding night, which he'd been looking forward to for seven years, she agreed to take her, her sister's place and pretend to be her sister on the wedding night. That's something that might actually cause you to hold a grudge for a while, okay? That's, that's a little over the line and, and, you know, acceptable behavior. But now notice, he has called a family meeting. And it, Rachel and Leah are both there. Something has shifted in his regard for Leah. I think we should pay attention to that. And they're going to meet out in a field. Well, why are they going to do that? Well, there's a disadvantage to meeting in a tent. What is that? You can't see if someone is outside, but they sure can what? Hear everything you're saying. And so they're out, that's why they're meeting out in the field. This is a private conversation. Now, at family camp... Uh, where people put up tents, I have heard lots of interesting conversations. I, let me tell you, I have. I'm not going to repeat any of them here, but it's amazing how when people went into their tent, they felt like that was private and nobody would hear what they were saying. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm on the road and there's the edge of their tent and I'm like, oh my goodness, wow, they ought to make a TV show out of that. <laughs> you know? So that's why they're out there. So this is what he says. 
I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock was spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. And then the angel said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see that the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So he tells his wives, you know, when I came here, I met God in the wilderness, or he met me, and he promised to be with me, and he has been. You know the whole goat and sheep thing, all the sticks and everything? You know why we ended up with all these spotted and black sheep? God promised me in a vision that he was going to do it. So we find out that actually the sticks did what? Nothing. God promised these livestock would be born this way. The scripture doesn't really say what the whole stick thing was. I just think it was his way of messing with Laban's mind, but that's just my personal opinion. Here, Jacob says, God promised it and delivered, came through. Now, he says, God came to me and said, it's time to leave. It's time to go back. There's something else I want to point out about this conversation that's helpful for marriages. So, some of you, of course, are not married. Some of you who are not married might actually remember that I say this. Ten years from now, you might remember that I mentioned this because this is very important to a healthy marriage. Marriages that are healthy have to have this, this place where only the husband and wife speak to one another. No one else is allowed in. Now, I do not mean extreme situations like the, the husband is beating the wife. and that. I don't mean that. What I mean is... The scripture talks about how a man and a woman leave their father and mother and join each other and become one, and there has to be a place in which no one else is allowed. So, you know, the, the bride's mom might have lots of helpful ideas. The, the groom's friend might know all the answers to, to make the wife better or whatever, but they are just not allowed in the marriage because the husband and wife need to to have this private time together to work out these decisions without other people meddling. It doesn't mean you don't ask for advice or that you don't share with someone or ask for prayer, but there just has to be this privacy there. If everybody's allowed in to walk wherever they want to, as if you guys don't have something special and unique to you, it will hurt the marriage. And that is really important. And you, you might say, well, sure, I want that, I'll do that. Well, what's hard is if your husband won't do what you wish, and so you drag your mom into it to talk to your husband, or your wife doesn't understand something, so you drag your best friend in to try to talk to your wife, and you feel like there is no private space where you as husband and wife can talk about serious issues where no one else is allowed in but God, it hurts a marriage. All right, so that's what Jacob does. Now the girls talk. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. 
This is really sad, actually, this statement. And no parent would want their child to speak of them this way. Essentially, what the girls are saying is this. We are so done with dad. He's a jerk. He doesn't even think of us as his daughters. We're like property, a way to make a profit. And he's taken things that belong to us and wasted them. He, he devoured stuff that should have been ours. We're ready to leave. We're happy, actually, if we don't ever see him again. That's essentially what they're telling Jacob about their dad. Here's the thing about abusive people is that often they desire power. They want to control people. They want to call all the shots. They want you to be trapped. They want you to be unable to express your anger, unable to do anything about it, unable to leave. And eventually what they do is they lose you, and they lose you permanently. And some parents have had kids that have moved away, and they're, they're just done with you. And they don't call. They don't want any contact from you. Um, and that's what can happen. Now, even though I've said that, I want to say this. Here at the church, we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that a life can be changed. Even an abusive parent who has lost their children, maybe lost their spouse to divorce, they can come to know Jesus and their life can be changed. They can have their sins forgiven. They can confess how they have hurt someone else and sincerely confess their sins. Their life can be redeemed. Remember what Jacob talked about? He said, God has been my shepherd my whole life. He has redeemed me. Me, the deceiver, the liar, the cheater. I have been redeemed. A life can be redeemed. Things can be reconciled. We've had people come to the church who have told us that they have destroyed their family. Their marriage is over. Their kids don't want anything to do with them. And they've come to faith in Christ. They didn't remarry their spouse, but they're able to talk to their spouse civilly. And you can't go back to a child's childhood. It's there, and then it's gone, like smoke, right? There it is, and then it's gone. You can't go back and do that. But they have been able to renew contact and honor birthdays and to say the phrase, I'm so proud of you, and it is received by their child. And that's life-changing. That's an amazing thing. So... I don't want to paint the, the picture that, you know, if someone struggles with a certain kind of life or has blown their family apart, that it's unfixable. It's not, but it is pretty serious. I don't think you're going to work on reconciling if you don't realize how serious your own part in it is, right? So, all right, well, we're going to move on. So, Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all of his livestock, all his property that he had gained the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan, his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep. This is a great time to leave because Laban and all the sons and all the men are out in the fields shearing the sheep. That's why they take off now. And Rachel stole her father's household gods. What? what? How's that going to help? What? what? And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all that he had and arose and across the Euphrates. See, he crossed the river. This is like crossing the Rubicon. I mean, this is it. There is no going back. The decision is made. It's out in the open. Here we go. And he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Okay, 
all bets are off. What's going to happen in this family? Jacob has gathered everybody off. They've left. They're three days ahead. They've crossed the river. They're, they've set their faces for the, where they're headed. He tricked his father-in-law, and that might bother you, but I, I tell you, you know, in abusive relationships, you don't usually advise the spouse who's being abused, hey, you need to, you know, inform your spouse that you're leaving and tell them where you're going, right? There is some, you would call it deception or some withheld information that just makes sense when you're dealing with an abusive situation. So I would just say, give Jacob a break here. He has spent 20 years with this man. He knows he needs a three days head start. He just, he knows it, okay? <laughs> so give him a break on that one. With Rachel, don't give her a break. What are you doing? <laughs> okay, so what is going to happen? You might be looking at this thinking, huh, my family doesn't look so bad. <laughs> what, what, what is this doing in the Bible? I don't understand. This family's crazy. Okay, well, you can't take your eyes away from it, right? It's like the housewives of Houston or Las Vegas, right? It's like, I can't stop watching. I have talked to people who watch the show on Netflix um, and I haven't seen it. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying a lot of people watched uh, Tiger King. And I asked him, why'd you watch that show? And they said, Pastor Steve, it's a train wreck. You can't stop looking at it. <laughs> and in some regards, this family is like that. It's like, what is going to happen? How is this going to work out? Well, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and he pursued him for seven days and followed close after him in the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob has a three-day head start. Now notice, Laban had made sure there was a three-day's distance between Jacob and what? Sheep. Because that's what's most important to Laban. Jacob makes sure there's a three-day's distance between he and Laban and what? His family. Because that's what's most important to him. So, what's going to happen? Well, so Laban's got all of his guys. they got all their weapons. It's taking 10 days. Three days head start, seven days chasing, 10 days. You know the guy's upset and committed if he's going to take 10 days and he's still at it. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. I love that. God comes and he speaks to Laban and he says, Leave Jacob alone. You don't get to speak into his life anymore. Good or bad. I speak into his life. You don't. And you might wonder, well, why is God telling him not to say anything good? Listen, if someone is abusive and they hold all the cards and they have power and they want to control your life, even when they say something good, it's not good. It just isn't. I'm so sorry that happened again. It won't happen anymore. It sounds good. It's not. Everything that should be good is ruined because of the abuse. God says, I'm the one speaking into Jacob's life, not you. Back off. Don't talk to him anymore. That's what God tells Laban. Well, Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, now, you should be wondering, what's he going to say? God just told him, don't say anything. But Laban can't help himself. So he says, what have you done that you have tricked me? That should make you laugh. I can't believe there are people in this world that trick one another, says Laban. 
You've driven away my daughters like captives by the sword. Do you see what he's doing? My daughters who love me and love spending time with me, you've kidnapped them and you're holding them by sword point. There's no way they would leave me unless you would force them. The man is clueless as to how his daughters feel about him, isn't he? He has to be. He has to convince himself that he is always right. And so he, descri- he uses his words to describe a reality that does not exist. Laban has not kidnapped the daughters. He's not driving them by sword point. They want nothing to do with their father anymore. That's reality. But, I mean, Laban can't live in that world, so he describes the world he wants to live in. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyres? I would have thrown a big party. Well, we know what happens when Laban throws parties, right? He switches out your bride. That's what he does when he throws a party. He's trying to paint this picture of the, I'm the loving father and grandpa. I would have kissed them all and given you a big party and I understand you need to leave it. Give me a break. Okay? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. Ah, that's actually what really matters to him. Do you hear his voice? That's what matters to him. It is in my power to do you harm. Jacob has lived 20 years with a man who loves the fact that it is within his power to do him harm. But God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Yeah, you did a real good job of listening to that one, Laban, didn't you? (laughs) Okay. So, but even so, here's the thing is that Laban can't help himself. He must justify himself and, and lash out, talk about how much power he has. How much power does he have right now? It's starting to, it's starting to, he's starting to lose his power, Okay. Kind of like when you stand up to a bully. It's, they, oh, I didn't tell this story in the first two services, but I'll tell this, this. Here's my bully story. So in junior high, a seventh grade science class, uh, there were the, uh, the big, tall kid who basically ruled the school, you know, and his henchman, who was small and annoying. It's like a, it's like a movie, okay? It's like a trope. I mean... The guy was taller than I am now, so he was six foot two and had a reputation for being really mean and his little irritating guy. They, they did stuff in junior high, like they'd go around and if someone was having a drink of water, they'd smash their head into the drinking fountain and knock books over and call people names, kind of like, what are you going to do about it kind of thing. Well, in science class, they both sat behind me. And so stuff thrown and chair kicked and comments and everything. So I went up to the teacher and I said, can you move me? The guys behind me are really irritating. Because that's what you should do first is go talk to the teacher. So the teacher moved me. They didn't like that. So they would go up to where I was sitting now. And when the teacher wasn't looking, which in a class, hey, if you're a student, isn't it true? The teachers are never looking. It is so true that you feel like, when are the teachers ever looking? They're never looking, okay? So they would walk by my desk and hit me in the back of the head and stuff like that and knock my papers down. And So this, the little guy came over and he said, um, uh, we're going to, f- oh, he, he, I almost forgot to tell this part. He said, I want you to do this homework for me. 
And so he asked me to do his homework, and I said, no. He said, what? You know, you're going to you know, beat you up and stuff like that. I said, I, and I'd had enough. I'd had it. So I said in a really loud voice, I don't care that you don't know how to do that. I am not doing your homework for you. You need to figure out how to do it. Which felt very good. And then I was like, oh, what did I just say? <laughs> okay. So he told me, you know, after school, we're going we're gonna to meet here and we're going to fight. I said, I'm not going to fight you. Are you chicken? Are you chicken? I said, I'm not chicken. I'm not stupid. Why would I show up at that spot and fight you? Go home and do your homework. And he didn't know what to do. And that was it. That was the last time that they bothered me. And here was the interesting thing. The really tall guy, the, the big bully of the school, like a week later, said to me, hey, it's pretty cool what you did. <laughs> Just, okay, whatever. So that's my story of standing up to a bully. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting myself lost in the actual story that matters here. Um, so he said, God told me not to say anything good or bad. Verse 30, now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, you want to know why we left? You want to know? Because we were afraid, okay? We're all afraid of you. You're a bully and we're afraid. That's the reason we're leaving. (laughs) So it, it starts to come out. For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Now I want to point out that he says, who would Laban take away? Daughters, plural. He has changed in his relationship with Leah. He has come to love Leah as well. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Boy, howdy, he didn't know that Rachel was the one who had stolen the family gods, or he would have not said in front of everybody, whoever stole them shall die, (laughs) okay? And you're just, you're left like, what is going to happen? How in the world is this mess going to be cleaned up? So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and he looked around. And Leah's tent, and he looked around. And he went into the tent of the two female servants, Zilpah and Bilhah, and he looked around. But he didn't find the household gods. And then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods. We know. The narrator told us. <laughs> okay had taken the gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. Now that word felt, that was last used when Isaac is feeling the neck and the arms of Jacob because he has disguised himself as his brother. That's the last time that word is used. He felt around, but did not find them. And Rachel says to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Now, there's a lot of humor and anger going on in this scene. The funny thing, of course, is here you have these powerful gods, and this woman is just sitting on them, okay? And they need to be rescued, but no one's coming to their rescue. Meanwhile, you have Yahweh, the living God, who is rescuing Jacob. Do you see the contrast here? Now, Rachel's response, Rachel, there is more to the words than just the words here. She tells her father, Daddy, I'm sorry, I can't get up. I'm having my period. Please don't ask me to do that. What is she telling her dad? I stole these gods because they're important to you, and I hate you. 
And I mean, she's saying a lot in this little statement right here, I think, to her father. And how sad is that? That's really sad, isn't it? So there's a lot of anger present in this family, right? Does it surprise you? So Jacob, after 20 years, is going to unload. Then Jacob becomes angry, and he berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between the two of us which one of us is honest and above board and right. It's not you. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and cold by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. 20 years of anger. It can, it can sound pretty harsh. This is why uh, most of us need to go to a counselor now and then, okay? Because you can dump all of that anger out on the counselor, and the counselor will say to you, my goodness, that must have been difficult. What else do you feel? Right? If you go to a family person or whatever, I mean, they'll, they'll explain it away, or they'll want to fix it, or you know what I'm saying. But getting the anger out is important. And he does. He gets it out. Out it comes. Everything's out on the table now, and here's the most important thing that comes, and the deepest thing that comes, and the thing that you and I should really want. This is comes, and God saw, or if God, my, <laughs> verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed, but God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. God has stood up for me. God has been on my side this whole time. And you might wonder, you know, you, Pastor Steve, you started with talking about how Isaac could look back, or Jacob could look back on his life and talk about how God had been his shepherd all these years and had been with him. But look at all of the horrible things that happened to him and all of the people that he hurt. How can God redeem a life like that, someone that deceptive? And how can God say that he has been there for someone who has been hurt that many times and abused for 20 years? Well, that's the miracle, isn't it? That's the good news. Jacob acknowledged that God had been with him even when people hurt him and that he had been forgiven even when he hurt people. Even when he had deeply hurt his own family, God had redeemed his life. And even when his own family had deeply hurt him, God had been present with him and been on his side. And right now he has evidence that God is watching out for him. Because God told, Jake, or God told Laban, you don't get to speak into Jacob's life anymore, I do. A lot of the questions we would want answered, why did this happen? Why did God allow this? Why didn't God intervene? Do you know how often those questions get answered for us? <laughs> Almost never, okay? Almost ne we ask God, why did that person die? Why did that person get this illness? Why did I lose my job? It was unfair. Why did we get kicked out of here? Why did this? 
Those questions don't get answered. What God does tell us is that He keeps all of His promises, that He is present with us always, that He is dependable, and that our family conflicts don't mean that He's not present and can't bring blessing. I mean, that's what He tells us. And so we have a little bit left in the story here that we need to get to. And you might think it's over. It's not over. Partly the reason it's not over is we're talking about an abusive person here. They really are reluctant to have it be over. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Laban has lost all power over these people, but he still has to be in charge. Do you see him? He has, he has no power. He has lost all influence over all of these people, and yet... He has to say, well, let me tell you, this is where I'm right here, and I'm right here, and here, and all this is mine, and you know what? We're going we're gonna to have a contract here and, and make sure you don't treat me badly again. He's got to be in control of the end. And you know what I think Jacob is saying to himself? Fine, create whatever thing you need to create because you're leaving. <laughs> okay, so... Um, so Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Now remember, when he left the promised land and went to be with Laban, he set up a pillar. God's house, he called it, where God promised to be with him. Now he's leaving Laban and going back to the promised land. Another pillar is set up. As Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. They took the stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegger Shadahutha, but Jacob called it Gilead, which is better because it's easier to pronounce. Then Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead and Mitzpah, for he said, the Lord, watch between you and me when we're out of one another's sight. And here's Laban. I tell you, if you mistreat my daughters, God's going to be watching. That's out of Laban's lips. This is how an abusive person speaks, especially when they've lost all power and they have nothing to say. They make themselves look like the aggrieved person. They are the righteous one. They call God on to watch you and make sure that you treat my daughters well, the daughters who don't want anything to do with him. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap in the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do me harm. And Jacob and Leah and Rachel and all the kids are like, oh, we're not going back, so we're not headed back to you, so we're good. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of, the father, of their father judged between us, so Jacob swore, God did judge between them, that's why he told Laban to shut up, okay? <laughs> Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country, last verse. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. And that is an account of one of the most awkward kissing moments in all of history. Okay? The awkwardness of that kiss. I'm going to kiss my daughters farewell. Go right ahead, Dad. We don't want to see you again. Kiss the grandkids farewell. 
we'll, we'll be happy when we're out of all of this conflict. It's got to be better than this. Bye-bye, Grandpa. Awkward kiss goodbye. Awkward blessing. Blessing. He had 20 years to bless this family. But all he was interested in was, I have the power to harm you. Now, this message might have surprised you this morning when you came to church, like, whoa, I didn't even know all that stuff was in there. My goodness, look at this family. Ah, Well, at least we're done with conflict, right? We've got to be. No. Jacob is headed home. We're not going to cover this, this this morning, but next week. Who does he have to reconcile with? His brother who wanted to kill him. Okay, he's not done yet. So I'm going to take just a couple of minutes to read another verse because... So how do, how do I, you know, it's like, well, I get some glimmerings of how I could apply some things to my life here, Steve. Here's the big, the, the big down-to-the-heart application. Jacob desired to be home and for it to be peaceful. And he was convinced that God was present with him and that God actually loved him and was on his side. And, you know, if we've come to faith in Christ, that's what we learn. We learn that we have a true home in him. What does Jesus promise? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's going to be awesome, and I'll bring you to be with me. We have a home that is promised where we will be at peace. Jesus even says that, right? My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives peace, but real peace. And Jesus promised to be present with us, right? He said, I am with you to the end of the age. That's a very poetic way to say, real long time, longer than you can imagine, end of the age. That's, that's a long time that he's going to be with us, present with us. And he has shown that he loved us because he laid down his life for us as our good shepherd, right? So that the things that Jacob desired, home, the presence of God, the knowledge that God loved him, we who follow Jesus know that better than he did. We know it better because we know Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we know and understand what we have in Christ. Uh, So I'm going to read from Romans 8. I do want to say this, though. I may have touched on some things today that um, you may feel are unfixable. Remember, Jacob's impossible prayer. Father, somehow, if you could bring me home to my father's house in peace, that's what I really want. Um, What prayer should Laban have been praying? Man, I messed everything up. God, I totally messed it up. I talk a good talk, but I messed everything up. If it's possible, God, could you reconcile me to my daughters? That's the prayer he should have been praying. I don't know if he prayed it. It's not recorded here. God hears those prayers. God is the only one that can do those things that are impossible. Right? So we need to pray them to him. Now, Jacob had said, God has been on my side. And that's what made me think of this verse in Romans, which says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, in other words, if God is on our side, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? or an abusive uncle, or a weird marriage, or a conflicted family. For it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for these scriptures which show us that, yes, our families can be conflicted. Yes, we can hurt people, and we can be mistreated and hurt by others, and yet we can trust your presence and your ability to do what we can't do to bring redemption. And, Father, we pray that you would listen to our prayers about our own life and our own families. That thing that we feel is impossible, we bring that to you. We ask that you would be with us in this, as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen.